0: Pimbo IET, the Haitian Diaspora Back in Haiti podcast. As always, we're speaking with you, to you, about the transition, the lifestyle of being in Haiti, and we have guests who have successfully made that transition we are going to come in, give their perspective, give their professional experience what they're doing in Haiti, impactful, and hopefully impart information and, and perhaps a bit of inspiration uh, to help you in your eventual potential move transition to help uh Haiti in and whatever and I, whatever your background, however it may be, Haiti's a on hands mission because the country only changes when we out in the diaspora figure out a successful way, a successful strategy to reengage in the country. My co-host, the one and only Pastor Mark Antoine. This is man, thank glad to have you uh, sharing the steering wheel with me, as we have a guest, and this guest is real special, real impactful. This is a, an associate of Mark. In fact, so much so, Mark, I'm, I'm gonna give you the give you the reins here to uh, you know build her up and then introduce our guest. Go ahead, Mark.
1: Sure. Today we have um, a, a really good friend of mine, a sister of mine. I consider her family um, family's Jessica Laguerre, um, coming from Haiti. Um but we grew up together in Philadelphia and so um over the past I would say probably ten or so years we um have known each other and really been able to get to know her and her family and she's moved back to Haiti and doing really, really great work. She is a globe trotter, she is a very fierce, she is a go getter, and so I think um everyone is in tune for a great, great show and a great, great discussion today.
0: Awesome, awesome. Thank Quite you, a Mark. <laughs> Welcome, Jessica. Welcome, Jessica. Glad to have you.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I mean, as soon as I heard this was happening, I was like, Mark, I want in. I want to share. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you so much for having me.
0: Awesome. Awesome. As, as, as Mark uh, said, you're doing work related to development. And what's, what's really interesting, why I, I'm so emphatic, multiple reasons why I'm emphatic. First off, you're first woman, female guest. Yes. Right? So happy about that. To give that yes. perspective, that's number one. Number two, you're not in Port-au-Prince, and I am always emphatic no. to bring folks who are who are doing things elsewhere because you know the the big focus is always Port-au-Prince, this Port-au-Prince that. But there's the country is so much more than that, and obviously my favorite part of Haiti is anything outside of Port-au-Prince. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> so where you are right now, you are in Acibonique, Uh specifically. Where's where uh, just to give folks a reference of where you're at?
2: Yeah, so I am in Deschapelles. I'm at. Hopital Schweitzer, um which is a hospital located in the commune of Verret in El Tibonit. So we're about 45 minutes from St. Mark, which is the closest big city, and maybe about an hour away from Niobale.
0: Okay. Okay, so good stuff. You're, you're certainly out. I really do call that the provinces there. So that you're oh really yes. <laughs> so, so. And, okay. and good
2: old, and good old Creole will say Mario.
0: So from the perspective of your professors, give folks an idea of what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to let Jessica really walk us through, uh, you know, her background stateside and then her eventual transition uh, to uh, to Haiti, back to Haiti. Right. And then she's going to be talking about professionally. Uh, what she's doing in, in, cause she's in development work, right? So I let her really break that down to you and, and specifically what she's doing, cause what she's doing in particular, her day to day is in the medical aspect, the medical sphere. Yeah. She's gonna then, uh, talk about, you know, uh, not only the benefits and difficulties of that, but also the, uh, how others could potentially plug into the sort of realm and area that she's in, right? Because a lot of folks really do want to come back and do real development work. And so that's going to be fun to, to, to understand and hear from her. And then finally, we're going to, we're going we're gonna, to, uh, wind it out and really, you know, talk about COVID-19, what she's seeing because she is in that medical area, So she can really give a, a very solid, uh, reputable perspective as someone who's dealing with it on the day to day. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's the, the table of contents of what we're looking to talk about. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So. First question, Jessica, listen, uh, walk us through who is, who is Jessica Laguerre, uh, you know, from the very beginning and, and to ultimately how you ended up, ended up where you're at. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so I always start everything, um, by talking about my big family, right? My very, very big family. So I come from a family of eight children. So I have seven siblings. Um, girl power, six girls, two boys.
3: Um,
2: if <laughs> if you know enough about Haitian culture, you know how crazy it can get when you're trying to get a second boy.
3: Mm. So
2: the the story is first girl, second boy, and then, no, first girl, and then the second child was a boy, and then everyone else girls until telling get to my little brother, and then it stops. So obviously, there's no denying that they are looking to get an, another boy, <laughs> oh, which is why there's um, eight of us, and I'm Extremely grateful and shout out to them, um the laguerre crew um we're very close, very tight family um very um how do I say this like we're intense, we're in a space because it's a lot of us and a lot of energy, and we're very loud and part of who we are so born and raised in Port au prince um actually, very similar to mark um uh, moved to the states when I was twelve, moved to philly. But my parents remained in Haiti while my siblings and I um, kind of did our thing in Philly. So we all lived together. So I was fortunate enough when we did all move at the same time. So my older siblings moved like one or two or three at a time. By the time they got to me, we had figured things out so well that I really would benefit most. Um, from the privilege of being stateside, right? So the education system, just thinking about, like, how do you choose the best school to set you up for college? Then how do you figure out how to make college work to set you up for grad school, like undergrad and so on? So I'm grateful um, for my journey because a lot of it is really all about family and the way God placed us and sets things up for us. And I was able to move to Philly. Um, I went to a middle school. Then I had great advocates, honestly. My life is full of great advocates that knew and identified things that I would be successful at for me without me necessarily knowing it and guiding me. So in middle school, I had great teachers who said, you need to go to Central High. And Central is one of the best high schools, public high school in Pennsylvania. And one of, I think, maybe first or second best public high school in Philly. Yeah. So they set me up on that track and then from central um with advisors and just being in this competitive environment of like, you know, we're not only doing 4.0, we're doing 4.2 mm. and we're not doing regular coursework, we're doing AP coursework and advanced and honors coursework. Just being in in that environment set me up for college. Mm. And I was able to get a full tuition scholarship for my undergrad, and I studied um, international studies and in sociology, I dual majors. And I was fortunate enough to really travel during that time. Like, I mean, I spent some time in France, some time in India, went back and forth to, between Haiti and the States doing internships, um, volunteering. So it really gave me a um, good perspective in terms of what I wanted to do. So I was very clear, like, and I practiced and I had a chance to experience things, and I knew that I was definitely coming back to Haiti early on. So it was a one-shot thing. So undergrad quickly merged into grad school because I knew I just wanted to get done and move back. Um, I originally wanted to go to law school, but then I quickly learned there were other ways to advocate for people. And I wasn't satisfied with the justice system. And I was worried about how limited I would be in Haiti in that context. So I switched and went to grad school for social work. So I went to grad school in Cleveland. I have a Master's of Science in Social Administration from Case Western Reserve. And when I completed in May, I moved back um, in August. So I think I ended everything in May, graduated, moved back to Philly, spent the summer with my family in Philly and then the whole time I knew I was looking for work in need. I didn't even really give myself time or a chance to jumpstart start my career stateside because I knew everything had to happen here. Um, that uh-huh. I, When I graduated, I spent one summer um, in Philly just kind of like not working, but really just taking in and soaking in the time with my siblings because they're all still stateside. I'm the only one that came back. Um, and then, I was applying for work, and then I got an opportunity with an organization called HELP, Haitian Education Leadership Program, great, great organization. Um, and I started with, them, and I was originally based out of Puerto Prince, and I started the work because it was a challenge, but then it quickly, um, what I was hired to do, I did it, and then it felt like I was just repeating the process day to day, and I was so, like I'm still so young and early in my career, I just didn't want to do things in a routine way. So I intentionally seeked out an opportunity that would have me outside of photo print and doing something completely different. I would never be doing the same thing twice. So I ended mm-hmm. up at H.A.S., which is Opal Belt Schweitzer, and I started as a program manager with them, then quickly got promoted to um, senior admin. So I'm like the senior administrator right now.
0: Let me jump in there just to clarify, because that, that, that name, is, it's a tricky name. So it's mm-hmm. Hospital Andrew Schweitzer. <laughs> Am I Has- 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 mm-hmm.
2: Hospital Albert Albert.
0: Albert Albert okay not, not Andrew's Albert mm-hmm. Albert Schweizer mm-hmm. S C H W E I Z R something in that ballpark. Yes, yeah. I still yeah.
2: misspell it all the time, but <laughs> definitely soon. Yeah,
0: because you say you know even me when I first heard it, uh, I was like, huh, and I had to take a look at it. So for my for our listeners, it's Hospital Albert Schweizer, and it's out in the uh, in the at uh, Cibonite. Yeah. uh area there, very near uh Petit Rivière uh if you guys. Yes. Know, so. yes.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's an interesting um institution in itself that has been in Haiti for over sixty three years. Um and the founders are actually a wealthy family from Pittsburgh. Um the Mellon family, if you heard of the Mellon Bank. So um Larry Mellon founded the hospital um in his late forties. He learned about a similar hospital in Gabon in Africa. Mm. And he would inspire to do something similar. So then he, in his 40s, he went to med school just so he could do this. And then we ended up, um, he ended up choosing the chapel. He visited a number of communities, but he ended up choosing this community to do this work in. Wow.
0: Yeah. Very cool. And it's the Philly connection there. So it's, uh, it's very strong, I see. <laughs> yeah. PA, PA. You know all good things come from PA. <laughs>
3: yes. <laughs>
0: So, so we see that though there's a full you know circle there uh because it's important to, to note so you you were born in haiti you grew up mm-hmm. how many years did you spend before you moved to the states
2: um twelve years
0: twelve years, okay, and then you mm-hmm. left and then and then from twelve until what, what what age did you come back like
2: um I came back what was it twenty four
0: okay 24. so 12, mm-hmm. as long as you were in Haiti, you were spent out of haiti, you know and yes. For in the very formative years of twelve to you know twenty-four, as you're a teenager and experiencing all that, and then you went to university, but then you always had that you know I'm going to come back and I'm going to impact my country in a way that is uh, you know going to change as many lives as possible, which is great. Now, now that first opportunity that has you in Portal Prince, now what what was that? Need, can you expand, expand a little bit on that first opportunity?
2: I was at the Haitian Education Leadership Program mm-hmm. would called Help. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um and they're a great organization um providing access to higher education in Haiti to um people from low-income families. So they recruit nationwide all throughout the country, not just Port-au-Prince, and they look for the best of the best um students and then they give them a full scholarship. Um mm-hmm. that and they're You know, it it was a great, great, great organization for me to start with because I learned so much from them and I had to humble myself. And I think it's it's important to do that when transitioning back Mm -hmm. Um, and help was a great way for me to stay um, grounded, but also be conscious of my privilege. Mm -hmm. While continuing to learn before I transitioned into something else, so I'm I'm, I was I'm grateful that I was even offered that opportunity, and I would always recommend and tell people to check them out. Like great great organization.
1: Yeah, Berlin. If 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 I could rewind a bit, Jess, um, you Mm -hmm. now now, uh, Chris, you were born in Haiti but left early, correct?
0: Yeah, I was born there, left at three.
1: So my right. very little exposure. So both Chris and I left Haiti very young. So we hardly, I mean, growing up, we hardly knew anything about Haiti. But mm-hmm. you left, you, you you were able to go to school there. So, you, you know, you mm-hmm. have your upbringing there, which is different than Chris and I. And usually what I find um, with the people that I know is that when people leave Haiti around that age, 12, 13, kind of 28 years, they're a bit more reluctant. To return yeah. to live i'm not sure if that's your experience, but I find a lot of the people that I yes. know who left Haiti around those age, that age they're less you know're they're, they're less open to the idea of- re- returning back to haiti yeah. so what 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 was different about your experience um and ha- do, you, do you why do you think that is that at that age people are less willing to um, move back mm-hmm. to Haiti
2: I wanna first talk about why I think they're less willing, right? Because I have a number of people in my circle um with similar experiences that say they will never come back. Mm-hmm. Um and not even on a not even to visit. That's how much their experience shaped them. And this is another area where I happen to privilege and say we all have different experience and different um perspectives. Mm-hmm. of Haiti, um, and I think that sh- shifted mold a lot for people. So I left Haiti when things were starting to get bad, right? Um, so I was in Haiti during that ICD era right that kidnapping um the of de manifestation mm-hmm. um so i i saw all of that we saw all of the um when poverty really started the the, the poverty rate really started to go high and the opportunities really started to lessen in Haiti i was a young like you know early teenage years i was mm-hmm. seeing it mm-hmm. um i think the difference in what may have been a buffer for me and i think it will be the same for a lot of people my parents had um they have um, they're quite comfortable and successful in Haiti. Mm-hmm. So that served sort as of has a buffer sure. for me, and I wasn't exposed to what a lot of other people were exposed to. Mm. That being, say, I still know a great deal of people who come from a similar background who still choose not to come back because they're aware of how limited they are. But mm-hmm. I think um, me coming back is, like, much more than just about my experience. It's about what I wanted to do. Mm. I would be doing development work, um whether it was in Haiti or not, right? Mm-hmm. And this is something I always say. Like, I would do social work. I would do community organizing. I would do, like, nonprofit work stateside.
3: Mm-hmm. So I told
2: myself, hey, I could do this stateside, and I have the language. I have the skill sets, and I know this well enough. Why can I do it back home?
3: hmm because
2: the challenges are the same, I believe. Um it it's all about perspective. What do you cho- what do you prefer? Like you could stay in Philly and do social work in Philly, but the disparity is still pretty big in terms mm-hmm. of um income and lifestyle for most people. Um then you also have some aspect of insecurity there's no way you're going to compare it to Haiti and say it's the same thing because the lack of infrastructure but yeah. if you really identify what your priorities are like I didn't come back to Haiti to experience Philly I didn't come back to Haiti to experience New York mm-hmm. right I came back to Haiti because I miss Haiti and I wanted to be part of the um, change agents
3: mm-hmm.
2: making a shift so I think the biggest thing is expectations for people coming back what are you what, what are you expecting Um <laughs> Um, what are you hoping to get out of this experience? Um and I think that makes a difference because some people are in a position where they have a lot more responsibilities, so it's harder to make that transition back for pay cut or like um a different lifestyle, whereas i when I moved back, I was young single um didn't really have much, and I had that luxury and that privilege to be able to make such a drastic decision to move me back mm-hmm. without any income, even if, it, if I didn't get a job right away.
3: Got it. And
2: I think we have to be a little bit honest about that. I think a lot of Haitians want to come back home, but they have a lot of family members who depend on them. Mm. And it's often hard for them to make that decision without having a direct impact or consequence on them as well with the amount that they send back from their income side. Yeah. Okay okay
0: yeah, that makes sense cuz I, I can speak to you know the your you know folks who who do stay in the country longer it, 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 was, it was where you come from right um I know my folks mm-hmm. my mom in particular uh you know she she was grew up in a rural uh, She grew up in a very mm-hmm. rural mm-hmm. environment uh, it wasn't until her teenage years that she came uh to she came to Port-au-Prince but again it was during a time where um, well, things were okay, right? But then when she, because she was on a Duvalier in the quote unquote quietness and peace of, of that era, um, and, but then, uh, you know, finally when things started to get really ruckus and, and bad, she left. And that, but that still shapes her because her experience mm-hmm. always, she was, you know, a mundi, uh, of, of of minimal means, right? And so mm-hmm. her experience was always, you know, she would see the, the underbelly of the country, you know, day to day. And so mm-hmm. when it was time for her to go, she was like, she wasn't going to come back. And we get it. We get it, you know. Um, but my dad, though, even though he saw the underbelly, he was a slightly m- more affluent, uh, came from a family that was more or less established and, and uh, had considerable property. And so she, he always saw the opportunities for, for potentially what they could be which is, you know, mm-hmm. the country's rich of, for, with resources and, and all it takes is a, a mind that's organized uh, to to engage and, and potentially you know, have a very comfortable life. So it, it really does matter where you come from. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so let me ask. So what you, you mentioned that you uh, traveled quite a bit, you know, which is I found it interesting You're in India and a bunch of different places. So, mm-hmm. you know, how do you view Haiti from that perspective? I, I've traveled a little bit and it's helped me uh certainly with just life in general, but what you know aspect or two that have been has been most beneficial from your travels that uh, allowed you mm-hmm. to uh you know be successful so far relatively um
2: for me um i've when I, and this has been more intentional um, in the past couple of years at my end. Um, I've been intentional about picking up countries that I feel like are not necessarily the U.S., but are not necessarily Haiti, so the good in-between countries mm. that are a little bit further ahead than Haiti but are not quite at that U.S. or other European country standard. Um, I do this for two reasons. The first one is I think sometimes we have this perception that things have to be done the way it's done in the U.S which to me is completely off and the other thing is um when you see something in progress it's much more optimistic to envision to visualize what that will look like in a place where it's not applicable yet so in my time India, i spent an entire semester in india from january to may um i took public transportation in india i was walking everywhere which are things that i don't really do in haiti but it was a great experience for me to see how possible and what what can we do? What can we get from them that we can apply and um make happen back home. So I always get really excited and instead of it being like, ah I see pages or we don't have this in Haiti, it's always like, oh, what if we do this, this, and this and tweak this? Mm-hmm. This is something that's reasonable and aligns with our cultural standards. But doesn't necessarily require a lot of resources to make happen. And this was what India was like for me. Um, same with Costa Rica. I mean, they're a top notch country in terms of like um ecotourism and the clean energy, green energy. And I always think about all the ways we're not exploiting our solar mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. the solar power. So to me, whenever I visit, um I'm just encouraged and I'm like I, I take the opportunity to learn a lot and see what can we do back home, right? Like recycling, um, and uh not necessarily in a high sophisticated like um, infrastructure, but what is it like to recycle good old school recycling and reusing papers and building things out of it or like creating things out of that. Um, so I I always have an opportunity to learn, to see what's possible. It doesn't have to be a hundred percent to the level of the US, but how can we use that to help improve some things?
1: Yeah. Um to 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 jump in there, now I I know you said that your parents remain in Haiti and so that kind of helped with your transition. Um yes. but then also with your travels to the you know different countries you've been to, India, Costa Rica. When you finally made a decision to return to Haiti, I'm curious in understanding the difference in dynamic between um a, mm-hmm. m- a man returning and a woman returning both chris oh, okay. chris and i have returned <laughs> i mean i mean you usually hear of men returning I, I do know a few women who have done it but less so what do you think were some of the biggest challenges or differences because of of, of your of your sex mm-hmm
2: i think um There is some aspect of it that comes into the career track, right, the professional world. You always um, – I think in my field, in my place of work, it's not intentional, but it just so happens to be that the way our culture and the way we do things, we often groom men to be in a position of leadership. So mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to be in a position where I was making big decisions, like changing things, which means ultimately I would have to be in a leadership role.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: it's always very interesting to see the dynamic there because even now in my role, um, and being very young, and and then <laughs> and then there's another other aspect of it, like you're young woman, and then um, you're black, um, mm-hmm. which there are all these layers to it. Um, that can be barriers, I think, for a lot of Haitian women trying to come back. And I think also there's just the culture um, and the expectations or the way things are done. I mean, not in a, in a way, and it's not like meant to be malicious, but it's just how kind of like it happens. Like, for example, when I moved back home, it was very, very hard because I transitioned with my parents. Mm -hmm. And there was all this fear around what would happen to me driving on my own or, like, me being out or just having a balance of social life and perceptions,
3: Mm -hmm. right?
2: You "You can't Mm -hmm. really do this. Um, Maybe not worry this. I mean, you still have to realize that Haiti in a lot of ways is still very conservative.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) so
2: to be coming from the state with that mentality that i can do everything that i can do which Mm -hmm. is what we're this is what the culture is in the u.s right so to come back and to have these kind of like in your face you can't do this because of that like and it's not they're not going to hide it they're very going to be in your face yeah yeah so
3: it's,
2: it's interesting plus there's the added um Pressure and expectation that you'll be able to do some things that a lot of like a lot of local women can do that I can't do right sure. like so the cooking the cleaning the a lot of the stuff that like they do at the top notch la like mm-hmm. I don't have that experience because I've spent most of my um young adult years in the states so far, right. so coming back, I'm not gonna know necessarily how to make the top notch local haitian juli. You're not going to make it, like, to their patient standard. You know what I mean? There's there's still that bias there. Like, you're not going to make it or do things how they're doing it. Or, like, the meat, buying the meat for the market. Oh, my gosh. Like, these are all things that you're not exposed to. And if you spent most of your time in a more um, U.S.-based, Cultural mm-hmm. mindset that you're not going to have a lot of experience doing. So I yeah. think those are very, um, those are some of the things that come in. And then I think also in the professional world, you often um, have colleagues, or, and this is all around, not even at where I'm at now. I, I know this from a lot of my other girlfriends who are, exp- like, you know, who came back. Um, it's just challenging to really have your voice heard sometimes. It's challenging.
0: Yeah. Mm hmm. hmm so yeah that's that's something I was very curious about is just that that you know it's hard to uh'cause i i you know from from a male perspective there's a lot of things i do that um i know uh Haiti is conservative and i know that mm-hmm. um it's, it's not necessarily an issue of insecurity it's just issue of norms right it's just not mm-hmm. normal right uh for for a person to for a male to do this and a woman to do that you know, depending on uh where you're going, what time you're going, right? So it's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, but the the core question I'll ask Jessica, you know, you know, it's a it's the core core was about safety. Do you Mm -hmm. feel overall, even though you just perhaps perhaps you choose not to do certain things, do you feel if if the if the crap hit the fan and you had to do things, for example, take a Mm -hmm. moto, take public transportation, uh do you feel you could?
2: Yeah, um, I felt I I wouldn't say I felt unsafe because um, I'm a woman. I wouldn't say that at all. I think um, the insecurity and this and this is the interesting dynamic here in Haiti. Insecurity is not so much about like my sex or like my identity. It's more about like the class, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's something that is often hard to grasp if you're not living in a country with such extreme um, disparities. Yeah. Um, you are not going to take a moto because you're wearing certain things. And once you stand out, or you go to the moto station, you're just gonna stand out like automatically, and i to be like, oh, this is not the norm for you. So I don't do certain things because I think, um, safety-wise, it just puts you in a vulnerable position. If you're not well versed on the fare, if you're if you look like you're too confused. Um, I think these would be things that are challenging, not only for me as a woman, but any men um, Mm -hmm. trying to do it. But, like, you know, if they pick up the accent, like, you already know you're going to get ripped off. Mm For (laughs) sure. For sure. Right? Accent. so it, it, to me, it's much more about the class than it is um, about my identity. I think in being conservative the way that we are in, at least in the environment that I've been to, if anything, it's an extra layer of protection because everyone's always looking out, oh, I see there. like, mm-hmm. there's always an eye on you in that sense to me. So
0: Okay, okay. That's, that's, good, to, that's good to get that perspective. It's not necessarily unique to uh, being a woman, but just the general conception of being, you know, in a sense, foreign you know, you reestablish mm-hmm. yourself. Okay. So, from from that professional perspective, I'd like to hear more about that. So, um, you know, you, you, from help and then you transition to this. So, how did was it online? Like, how did you hear about that? And mm-hmm. then talk about that organization. What are they doing out there? Like the full girth of of all the different mm-hmm. programs they may be involved in. Um, some of the biggest impacts you feel they're doing. How have you helped them in, in all these different initiatives? So really break all that down to us.
2: Yeah. So when I once I was once I made up my mind that I my time was up, I helped. Um and this was from not seeing any other position that I would want to transition into there. Um I got on drug And I mean tip for anyone considering coming back, don't underestimate drug file an idealist, because mm. often I think people say you need to know someone to get a job, and I can honestly say my two positions, I had no direct connections or ties or anyone who put in a word for me. So job mm-hmm. that's
0: spelled uh, J-O-B-P-A-W uh, dot com yes. or
2: dot com? I think it's dot com. right? And you have ideally
0: used.
2: It's I-D-E-A-L-I-S-T. Um and you would have to narrow down by country, and then there's also DVEX, DEVX, the e v x um these three platforms were key in my search process whenever I was thinking about coming back to haiti, and I was looking way before I like finished just so I had an idea of what the jobs what was available, what they were looking like right um so when I was ready to transition out of help, I found an opening job file and i my documents in, um, my CV, resume, and so on, and I got an interview. The interview for both of my positions were via Skype, so that's another thing to consider for people who feel like they have to be on the ground to mm. apply for work. That's not necessarily true, right? You can apply, and a lot of these organizations are are, are comfortable with Skype or WhatsApp because this is not the first time they're recruiting someone abroad. Yeah. Um, so... I I did my interview and I did the interview doing the February pay look, I think. So I was home um just, you know, followed through when I learned about the organization um once I saw the posting. So I saw the posting, um, did some research about them because that's another thing too. You wanna be honest with what you wanna do, um and how you wanna do it because work in Haiti is pretty hard, and I think if you're doing something that you don't necessarily want to do it's going to make the experience even more impressionable. Huh. So I was intentional about, like, okay, let me screen this. So I was leaving South because I felt like I was out of options and out of learning opportunities. So I screened Upitala um, Belch-Pfizer also the night H.A.S. And they not only have a hospital, that's like a 130-bed hospital, they have four community health centers, they have a wells and water program, they have four station work, and they have a whole campus where the staff resides. So, I mean, the amount of work was limitless in terms of what you could do here because it's, it's such a big organization. So um, I interviewed, I got the position, and I started with them um, in May. But this, like I said, this was an opportunity where I knew someone who was already working there. Or they like,
3: you know, like
2: it was a connection because I think sometimes that's often the narrative. Udu ikono moon or udu ge on moon and da or something. And I think we sometimes have to really move away from what other people are telling us and just do things our way. And I, I prayed about it, and then boom, it, it just kind of happened for me.
0: Yeah okay okay that's great and and so now so now you're here in this organization so you will break that mm-hmm. down of what the organization is actually doing and and all the different facets of, of its impact in the community
2: yeah so like i mentioned hs has been around for 63 years plus so this year will be 64. um and a lot of the work really has been around um services to improve the quality of life for people. That's the mission. Improve the quality of life for the people of the Valley. So that comes in the forms of that means we're gonna have programs that are gonna come and go because at a certain time they're relevant, but then if there's no longer need for it, you need to kind of like shift. Mm-hmm. Um so the hospital that we have now about a hundred has a hundred and thirty beds, but we're almost over a hundred and thirty beds. Um <laughs> and we have we hospitalize maybe 40,000 patients a year um the care is accessible affordable which makes all the difference if you know anything about the healthcare context in Haiti it's a fee based system so even for emergencies most institutions offer virtually are not at a in a position to offer services for free. So at HAS, we pride ourselves on being able to provide the service and providing it at an affordable, really, really affordable um, price point. Um, So the community that we serve, they're like mountain, Some of the people are coming from the mountains, so the mountain communities. So if they're coming down, 100 good is a pretty big commitment Mm -hmm. for them, right? So like our consultations are like 100 good um, whereas most would maybe be 3000 in other um, areas in the Port-au-Prince. Um, mm-hmm. And by the way, for so
0: folks to understand what 100 good is, 100 good at today's current exchange rate, 100 good is a dollar. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So since this is non-profit, a lot of our funds come from donors in the U.S. and in Europe and in Canada. like. Please, if you're listening to this and you're interested, I'm just gonna have to get this plug in. Like, go on our website and donate because yeah. literally every dollar goes a long way. Yeah. So we not only provide um like the outpatient clinic, we have inpatient, we have um uh, OR. So we really are like a fully functioning hospital. We can do the lab work in hospital. We have our own blood bank and we have an outpatient pharmacy. So mm-hmm. th- uh, not only are you gonna get access to the healthcare services inside, but like if you Get a prescription. You can fill it out with us before you go. At still an affordable price.
0: Awesome, and we'll we'll make sure to put your the organization's contact info in the show notes. So don't worry, we got you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Thank no, you. Yes, no, no, I've I've heard a couple people actually say that
1: this that um Obital Albert Schweitzer is um a a public hospital. Is it is it is it Run by the state in some way, or it's, mm-hmm. still, it's, still, it's still private, right?
2: Yeah, it's entirely um, nonprofit. So we, okay. so we're private, but private nonprofit.
1: Sure, sure. Um,
2: so we're a registered um NGO. Um, so what that means, sometimes they say it's a public hospital because I believe when the hospital was founded, there was an arrangement between the Haitian government and and the founders that they were they would facilitate them getting the land to the hospital. So this is like an interesting concept because usually the idea is like if the hospital would need to shut down, we can't just shut it down and liquidate all the assets and like, you know, go, we would have to call in the Haitian government and bring them right. in because it's a joint um, collaboration in a way. But it's definitely yeah. um, a nonprofit, not private or public.
1: Okay. Interesting.
0: Okay. So you, you so are starting to talk about the the medical aspect of what you do. Uh, what other what other things that because uh, I know this uh, they they do quite a bit of it. I think sort of function as a community center in, uh, in terms mm-hmm. of many different campaigns mm-hmm. that are going on. So what sort of campaigns uh, have you been aware of in the time you've been there, and yeah. uh, of impact that they had.
2: So right now we're doing a lot of education training, right? Um, so especially with COVID-19, so we're going out in the community. We're installing TP-TAPs, distributing um, the buckets with the um, faucet, um, making sure they are aware on how to wash their hands. And we also work closely with, like, a lot of the um, stakeholders in the community, so, like, the schools, the churches. Um, we dig wells uh we build um latrine so we do a little bit of everything. Um and reforestation is also a big part of her work. Um and you know, anyone who knows um the, the situation in Haiti knows that things are really, really bad in terms of like um uh, the way we're managing um or our greenery. Like yeah. just in general, like you know, most people are cutting trees down and not because they really Want to, but it's like the need to use it for mm-hmm. charcoal or to sell for something else or for furniture. Yeah. So we do a reforestation, um, project where we identify easy, like low maintenance, like, um, kind of like things that we can plant so that, you know, we don't need to have someone working all the time. And that's another part, like, we often talk about that, but we don't realize how difficult it is. To upkeep and to really <laughs> do a good job at working, um to prevent us from completely, um getting rid of our, um like the forest or like the, the greenery and the space in the mountain. So the erosion is really bad, but also there's limited water. So they, even if they plant, if they don't plant the right tree, um, they're not going to be, like it's, it's just not, basically walk like a react and good old Creole. Yeah. So you have to identify what can you plant that's low maintenance that doesn't need much that will, you know, do its own thing on its own, even if we don't come back in 20 years. So a lot of her reforestation work is based around that and training the community on how to do that.
0: Okay. Okay. And uh, do you uh, do you really, I mean, are you seeing the, the change from that reforestation oh, yeah. aspect? Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, definitely. So um, we... Out of the four health centers, HS has two of them are in the mountains. And a lot of time we do like an integrated community um, services. So we try to make sure our um, reforestation efforts align with the health center needs. And, you know, so in doing that, often on the road to the health center, you'll see like the different groups. That because they have every year they pick a group of community leaders to do this work with. So you can identify the pockets and you can start seeing um, the pockets of trees that are growing randomly in this place that's completely dry. So a lot of this work, it's visible. You can see it, um, and whenever we have donors or people visiting us, we take them to the health centers and we highlight these different areas too.
1: Yeah, Jess. um, Both Chris and I live in Port-au-Prince, and we can. You know, mm-hmm. testify, and you've worked in Port-au-Prince, so we can testify to the challenges and some of the positives, um, you know, mm-hmm. that are in Port-au-Prince around professional work. What is it like working at the hospital? What is it like being a professional in mm-hmm. the province, and especially in a city that's not like Okap or you know Okai, where, you know, not a large provincial yeah. city? What is it like working out there and being a professional and and all of that? Um, it's
2: challenging in its ways but also rewarding in a lot of ways um so you learn to realize what what do you really need um, what are the mm-hmm. musts and what's just like okay if i have this that's great mm-hmm. so i mean uh, i think I, I can just think for myself like here like the grocery store the nearest grocery store is going to be in st mark and even if you get to st mark you're not going to get all the stuff you get to how in or daily yeah. or bell mat. Mm -hmm. So I often find myself, when I go to um, Port-au-Prince, getting some things that are key and then bringing them back. So a lot of my meals are based on what's available in the community. So that's something Mm -hmm. that becomes, like, automatic. Um, You also um, don't have um, the leisure activities at the same level. So when you think about um, restaurants, if you just need a break and you need to go somewhere, like, you don't have that option here. Um, so that can be challenging for most, and then mm-hmm. um, I think also just the community and the mindset and the culture, right, can mm-hmm. be challenging. Um, and you have to humble yourself and remember that you're still a guest in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and no matter how frustrated you are, there's a limit that you must never cross because you're still like an outsider almost. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think in Port au Prince it's less because what ends up happening up with is you have this strong identity to their like town, like their zone. Yeah. So the people where I live in De Chapelle it has a very strong sense of pride and they're very prideful of their their area. Mm-hmm. So they took a lot of ownership and do that, which is sometimes harder to find, um in Port au Prince. Sure. I will say there's a big difference, um in terms of like uh crime here. For me, at least on campus, um, it's really hard for someone in the community to do something and people not know about it. Whereas in Port-au-Prince, you know, so many of us and we're like all over the place. It mm-hmm. doesn't have that like community, like it takes a village vibe yeah. that I get in, in the Châtel.
0: That's really what I hear the most about provincial life is the, the sense of security mm-hmm. is exponentially higher because mm-hmm. it is community. Like everyone knows everyone. Uh, and you can't just, you know, folks can't do something negative without the whole community getting into the act. And to the point where, <laughs> you know, this is terrible, but they say if if you if you're driving through a community out in the provinces, and and say if you get into a, an accident, say you run into oh, yeah. a boat or heck, God forbid, a person, uh, a lot of times they'll tell you, you either you 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 want to run to the nearest c- police center. <laughs> mm-hmm. come and say, <laughs> because the community will, will, will themselves react, yeah. right? Because uh, like, yeah. they're used to that. That's the, culture. the culture is, the community reacts um, to whatever thing that is threatening or negative, and that keeps folks in line, mm-hmm. like, sort of self-producing in a way.
2: <laughs> it, it does, and I think it's further than a community. It's a family, right? Because most of them are cousins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> The way this works is like, okay, so there's like all these distant cousin lines because so and so lived up in this land and then they moved down and they started a family and then they split up the land between their kids and so on and so on and it goes down the line. So like it's, it's very hard, um, for someone to attack someone from this community and not attack the entire community. It's very hard to do something here for it not to be known because it's all family at the end of the day.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and that's certainly one of my favorite parts of, of, uh, of the provincial. What, what, what has been your favorite, um, professionally and just living there? What, is that, is that it or what's just the one thing that you're like, oh man, I, you know, if I were to leave, I'd so regret missing. It just, is it just the nature or the atmosphere? What, what is it?
2: I think it's a mix mix of the nature, the atmosphere. I'm always at peace. I work often. Like, I'm always working, not work often. I'm always working, honestly. And when I get to my little house on campus, it's like, okay, downtime. And there are times where my Internet's not even working, so you're really not connected. Um, So I think it's a good space. I would recommend it to anyone who feels like Port-au-Prince is too much. For me, I really got tired of the traffic in Port-au-Prince. And I got tired of the pace of things in Photo Friends and I kinda got tired of the culture a little bit. Um, mm. I think um sometime I got frustrated in and how um contradictory everything was. Hmm. Like and that pushed me away. That was definitely a push factor for me because it's like, well, we make, you know, uh a uh, Really, really, like the wage, the income's really low, but then like the expenses or the outings or like,
3: yeah. if you
2: want to go get a nice meal, like, it's crazy expensive. So to me, yeah. I was like, it just, it just doesn't add up for me. And I got tired of being frustrated about that. So yeah, I, I think for me that, that extra sense of mind, that peace of mind is there. And it's definitely not superficial here mm-hmm. because we do what we have and that's it. Like you can't <laughs> you can't fake it or you can't um do more than what you have. There's no credit or there's no like oh same with um Bumstein and next time about because everyone's kinda of like in the same boat. Mm-hmm. So we're just very real with what's going on here and I and I really, really love that here.
0: So specifically to what you're doing in the hospital, run us run us through your your responsibilities and what you're doing mm-hmm. on the day to day. Because I know you're basically at a uh, you you you're at an operational level. Like you're basically mm-hmm. the operational head there, right? You're not, you don't have a medical yeah. background. You're not necessarily doing procedures, but in terms of operating a hospital, that's your job. So mm-hmm. run that down to us. What does that mean? And what are your responsibilities the day to day?
2: yeah so it's quite an interesting um experience because I think in the state, we see it all the time most people don't end up working in their field, the specific field um and this is something that shows how crazy social work can get, right that training so my day to day like i we start our days earlier, so we start at seven we in at five so um, I just do a lot of administrative. Um, things. So, I look for new opportunities for the institution. I'm basically the CEO's right hand and, like, his go-to person here on the ground when he's traveling or doing of fundraising and development abroad. So, in my role here, um, I often, like, look for new opportunities, um, see who's interested in partnering with us at the local level here, and then I follow up on, like, any um, potential donors that are coming and trying to get best, indirect, like, in-person, like, experience. So I I do operations where, like, we have a medical team. We have the community department, the community division, and we have a physical point for all of the stuff that's going on on campus. So I really do a lot of coordinating. I love it because each department has their department head, so I don't need to have the expertise, but I need to figure out how to make things happen and problem solve with them and coordinate and streamline. Hmm. which, you know, if you work in Haiti and you've seen this maybe at other organizations, it's often in silos. People often work in silos. Departments do their own thing, and there's no streamlining. So my role here is to really streamline and to bring everything into perspective so we're all on the same page and aligning to the mission. So I do the, the hard things and the nice things. So if there's something great happening that's going to benefit all of the employees, I'm the one to implement and to announce. But if we have to do some not so great things, I also have to implement <laughs> and we don't want to deliver bad news. So really truly operation. Like anything mm-hmm. that's uncertain and they're not sure about, like Madame Laguerre or what should we do? Like that comes to me and then I follow up with the rest of the senior team.
0: Running a hospital in in Haiti, uh, really, I know You you haven't run a hospital in America, so so it's hard to really give a direct. Okay, this is what I experienced yeah. here, and, but I don't know. Just walk us through, you know, that mm-hmm. as much as you could realistically compare. And I know you've been. I mean, we all been to clinics in America and and tr- had mm-hmm. treated, and so. And what what are the what are the challenges? And and, and also, I mm-hmm. guess you know, um, you know, one thing about being a country where uh, um, healthcare is so sparse. Uh, you can certainly talk about at the end of the day, you know, maybe a success story or two uh, that you've seen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
2: Um, I think when we talk about challenges, um, we can't um, live out technology here. Um, a lot of the work is like old school like dossier file patient files, like mm. hard copies, Right. So you can imagine for an institution that serves two hundred and fifty thousand people, like, that's like a monster trying to get that going and, um, getting them before a physician. So that's a challenge overall. And the fact that we're not there quite yet with technology is challenging. And you want to implement it and you want to try it, but you also have to be mindful does it make sense for the community? The things that I, like all about and I want us to get going on or like I suggested the team and we're all excited on, but we have to take a step back and say, can the people that work with us really implement these changes? Can they really work with these changes? Because you have to be mindful that most Haitians don't have access to like a laptop or a computer. So most of them is like smartphones. smartphone. So like if you're making a extreme change that requires a lot more, like what are you going to do with the, the 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 pool of people, your employees who don't have that skill set? So I think that can be challenging um in the healthcare system here. Um what I'm grateful for is that we all, we don't have to make the decision of who gets what. And this is something I feel for in I cringe at for anyone who works in healthcare who often has to make this decision in Haiti because the resources are so limited. So I'm grateful that, like, we're in a position, the team and I, when we don't have to decide, like, okay, you can get healthcare, you can get this, or you can get that. Because even though the, the fees are pretty low, if someone comes and they really can't pay, we have another system in place to help them. And you said
0: 250000 is is? 350000 um, 350000 350, That's uh, what, your amount of patients? The,
2: po- the population, like the area that we cover.
0: Wow. That's, that's sizable. Yeah. sizable.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. And out of that, you know, do you have one particular story that really comes to mind in terms of the, you know, uh, importance of what you're doing? Um,
2: um, I can't really pinpoint one thing because of all of the services we offer and how life-changing they are. So, mm-hmm. like, for example, our orthopedic um, surgeon and mm-hmm. the work that he's doing um you know, like all the motos, the accidents, the car accidents, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. unpaved roads. Yeah. Like, if you didn't have this service, there would be so many lives lost. And then, that, yeah. like, oh, my gosh, maternity. Mm. Oof, that's tough in Haiti. That's so tough. Most mm. women in Haiti still have to give birth at home. Yeah. We don't talk about it often because in Port-au-Prince, you have the hospital, and most do at the hospital. But once you get out of Port-au-Prince, yeah. most people give birth at home. So I was saying for... um for, for for maternity, it's really bad, right? Because um there's so many pregnant women out there having kids and who aren't necessarily getting their prenatal visits and and um, they're delivering at home and it's risky and they're delivering with traditional childbirth attendants and some of them it's just like a transition. So like my mother did this, so I'm doing this because she passed me the skill sets down and so on. So if they're not trained or they don't have the right equipment, that can really, really have an impact. So like I'm, um honestly it's it's tough work to do it in a country with resources so limited, but it's it's also very rewarding every single because I get to walk by the baby monitor like can hear the baby monitor like boom 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 the baby's heart rate heart mm. heart rate um from the delivery room, and that is like encouraging well like the malnutrition. like I think it's 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 hard to pick a specific thing because there's so many challenges here. And, um, Haiti has been in this position for some time now, so we can get older and people talk about things. And I feel like this is often what's happening. Like, people don't talk about HIV AIDS the same way anymore, but that's still very much prevalent in our communities here.
3: Mm.
2: Or, um, malnutrition, that's still, still, like, very much prevalent with children. Like, we have a chronic malnutrition, um, ward where we hospitalize maybe about 20, 30 kids every month. Mm without even factoring in the community work that we're doing from our nutrition. So um, this is, um, it's, it's a hard work, but to know that you're able to touch one or two or three or four people and that this is a whole um, teamwork. And I think what's powerful about this is this organization started off as something run by like um, U.S. Um, and expats. The physicians were all expats at some point. The entire staff was expat at some point um from the US, Canada, and Switzerland, and other European countries, but now we're 99% Haitian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you I- get You get, you get a lot of like, okay, we can do this. Like, we just yeah. need the resources. This is what I feel when I go through this. Like, Haiti can do this on its own. We yeah. just need the resources, right? So I'm encouraged by that. So it's, it's tough work, but, rewarding work.
0: I was going to ask that. How Of the doctors that are there, I know probably the nurses are probably all Haitian, but in terms of the doctors there, you know, Mm -hmm. how many are from abroad? All Haitian. Okay.
2: All Haitian. Um, Mm -hmm. The medical team is all Haitian. Um, On our campus right now, we maybe have like two or three people that are not like locally trained. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and me being one, and then we have our physical plant director, and then we have another community service director. So everyone, is local talent, um, locally trained. So the organization has been intentionally um, transitioning to a more local staff, which is that's great. Good. And it's it's good. good that we're able to do this work and do it with all Haitians. It's powerful. Yeah, that cool.
0: yeah that's certainly help, helpful for self self sustainability. That's that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Last question I have uh, on my part uh, really has to do with COVID. I I know Mm -hmm. uh, you Mm -hmm. did mention that you were helping with, you know, hand-washing initiatives and things of that sort. So, you know, talk to us about how are you seeing uh, the overall preparedness uh, in terms of Mm -hmm. other organizations in your area? How engaged are the Haitians there? Do they believe it? You know, I'm seeing some things, some some folks, are. "Ah, it's a political thing from the government. Are they really believing and taking it serious? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and do you feel, you know, at least your area and your house, uh, is, uh, are, are we in a good, relatively good place or moving in a good direction?
2: Um, so what's really been my experience so far with COVID, um, is that most Haitians are, like, Extremely vulnerable, right? Because most of the, if you know, like I don't know if you can just kind of like do it off the top of your head. Try to think about other people that you know locally that are diabetic or have hypertension. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so all that's right. very, very prevalent in in our community, in our culture, um, for for nationwide at all levels, regardless of social economic status, education, all of that stuff. Diabetes and hypertension is very prevalent in Haiti. Um, So when you have that and you think about the living conditions most Haitians are in, when we say, like, okay, you need to self-quarantine or self-isolate at home, in a separate room, away from the rest of the family, that's a luxury. Most people are, like, in these, like, two bedrooms or one big bedroom, one big room or big space home, you know? So I think um in order, or they may have separate rooms but a lot of people are living in these spaces. So it's it's easy um to pass pass it on, especially if you don't have any symptoms, right? Which we know most people don't. Like so it's 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 a very scary um thing. It's a very scary thought. Um I think my team and I we've been working, we've been preparing, but I can honestly say I don't think anyone will be ready for COVID-19 like anyone is or will be like, you Mm -hmm. can do the best that you can to prepare. Like we get, like we've designated a specific, um, you know, center. We, we have a space that we weren't using. We renovated it quickly. And it's only supposed to be for that for COVID-19 patients so that we keep them away from the rest of the, um, patients at the hospital. Um, so, we're doing all that we can, we're preparing the team. We're we're aware and I think we're trained to the best of our abilities in terms of like since this is so very new and there's not one clear cut best way um to treat this and it varies from patient to patient. So the team's well aware and we're well versed in what like we know is being done elsewhere and we're ready to do that here. But um if we think about the impact this may have in Haiti if we want to be honest about the, the 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 structure that we have here, the public transportation, um, we're thinking about the open markets, the marché. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about the way people live at home or the the culture of hugging and kissing, or like
3: yeah.
2: all of that plays a role into it. And then access to clean water, mm-hmm. like we're, we're you're telling people to wash your hands, but not everyone has access to clean water. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a very complicated situation for us, and I'm praying that it doesn't get to that level that they're anticipating it, it will get to.
0: Yeah. Are you seeing Haitians taking it serious, though? Are you, how you see that? Like, are they receiving this information? And at very least, even, I mean, do you, do you, do you, do you believe they believe how serious it is?
2: I think it's a mix. It's a mix. You have people who are part of the vulnerable group who believe it, right? Um, some of them, those who are older, they yeah. believe it. Some of them are aware of it. If you take the time to really break it down to most people, they get it. It's not that they're not aware. I think that's the difference. Sometimes we say um, education. They're aware, but I think also people are in a tough situation where, okay, I know this is a risk, but me staying home and not having me to cook for myself is also not a good situation. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people believe it, but I think it's a kind of like a coping mechanism for the most part to kind of downplay it so that they can do what they need to do to survive, right? Um, then you also have those people who believe it, but they don't believe it will happen to them necessarily or someone that they know, which is another big factor. It's not that they don't know this virus is there. They just believe that you're doing, what they're doing keeps them, um safe in that their immediate circle won't be affected by this
0: and mm-hmm. uh, Mark, I know your your organization, tear fund is also uh you know very engaged in helping with preparedness. Are you kinda right. hearing the same thing Jessica's telling you telling us like how do you you know are you seeing things
1: yeah it's it's like she says it's it's very mixed. You have a group of people who are taking it very seriously. Um, and taking the proper precautions and measures to make sure that they keep themselves safe and other people safe. Then you also have another group of people who, um, you know, like we said earlier, um, you know, you have to see it to believe it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. they won't believe it unless someone they know is affected. But also I, there, there's also another group of people, which we kind of hinted to, who believe it and who know that it's problematic, but who say, Look, I can't self-quarantine. I can't stock mm-hmm. up food in my fridge. I don't have a fridge, um, and I need to make money every day. Self-quarantine is, is self-isolation is not an, is not an option for me. And I think that's the majority of our people in Haiti. Mm-hmm. Um, we're telling everybody to self-quarantine. They can't stock food in their houses. They have to make money every day, and so it's a it's a it's it's, it's a problem. It's a, it's a dilemma that we have um, here in Haiti because of the way. Our infrastructure is because of the lack of, of, of finance in, in the households. So it's a very tough, very tough problem for us.
0: Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it's uh, certainly, I, I, you know, I, I see that for myself. I know, you know, folks have to have to work to to make some income, and, and there has been the distribution of assistance from the Haitian government is effectively non-existent, even in the best of times. And so okay. it's it's is tricky, So I, I agree with you. Uh, with y'all, I, I just I keep my fingers crossed. Uh, so far, you know, the cases have been relatively limited. Uh, at least those confirmed and tested have been relatively limited. Mm-hmm. And so we can hope it stays that way. And, and if the world can just get its act together, you know, uh, the sooner that happens, then the sooner Haiti can get out to clear. So we'll see. We'll see. But I'm just happy mm-hmm. that people like Jessica are in the country. People like Jessica are, are, are making sure that their neck of the woods, wherever they may be in the country, are, are, are doing the right things, sure. and that's what and that's what I can't discount enough. I can't discount enough the importance of, of us in diaspora to be able mm-hmm. to head, you know, do what we can, um, mm-hmm. and especially if we can be fortunate enough to move back uh, and confident enough to move back. Uh, I, I know Jessica. I, I'm sure you, you're you're experiencing like, man. What if I wasn't there? I mean, would someone else be doing as good of a job as me? I don't know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I'm sure your impact there is is appreciated uh, beyond measure, Uh mm-hmm. for sure. I'm, I know you're humble. You probably wouldn't. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm, your hum- <laughs> I'm doing your home for you, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> so so certainly appreciate that. So so before we head out, uh, I don't know. That, what final thoughts do you have for our audience? Remember, our audience is. Mm-hmm. You know, Haitian diaspora who are mostly living stateside and, uh, Canada. We even got some Switzerland listeners, uh, when I'm reviewing the statistics, which is interesting. You know, what, what word would you give them as a final parting for, mm-hmm. for, for, what, what perhaps would you have wanted to have heard, bef- you know, while you were out mm-hmm. there and before you move back? Mm-hmm. What sort final thoughts do you have for us?
2: Um, I honestly have to say just have a lot of faith and be bold and apologetic about what you want to do. Um, because I think sometimes things are challenging here and there are more reasons to not do sometimes than to do.
3: Mm-hmm. So you
2: just have to really believe in what you're doing and be bold enough to do something completely different, if that's what it is, because you, sometimes you're not going to conform in with your vision. So I, that's honesty. And having yeah. a lot of faith, having a lot of faith, um, like I took a risk. Um, I was willing to take this risk. I knew that this could end up, really well or really bad, but I was okay if he ended up really bad to doing something else. Right. So um, I think that that's really it. So I would encourage anyone to consider it. And if you want to do it, and there's not one formula, hmm. Um, you could start by volunteering, then going back and forth, like a, a hybrid position like this, there is not one formula. And there are also other ways to be involved. What nonprofit? doing the work here while also being stateside so this is a very complex and interesting um place to be in and i think a lot of people can contribute in their own ways
0: awesome awesome jessica thanks i you know i can tell you what i've gotten from this conversation is you know you're the first person who we have had who really had the opportunity to gestate both in in haiti as an adolescent and then and then okay. to finish their second half in the state so you can really really provide a great um, you know a comparison and well thought out explanation of, of, of you know what it means to be a Haitian from those two worlds and and, mm-hmm. and still have the confidence to come back and engage I was able to gain from uh, just the the uh, fact that you know you were able to use resources in Haiti to find impactful employment opportunities recently too uh mm-hmm. 2018 mm-hmm. recently which is awesome and then learn i learned quite a bit about you know the, the organization I, I didn't really know about hospital albert Schweitzer and, and, and all the different things that are being done and i I'm me so happy to know that you know our, our, our brothers and sisters in the provinces there are independent actors who are who are impacting great uh work that mm-hmm. is is changing and, and stabilizing their communities while we wait for a government to finally get its act together and catch up and, and be doing its job, which is what effectively what you guys are doing, is what they <laughs> should be doing, or at least you know, full hands-on partners. But, you know, we can't wait for that to happen. I'm happy folks yeah. are engaged. I learned a lot. And, and this is little tips about, you know, where to find the job, Paul. We'll be posting some of those links and some of those uh, – and also the organization's. Uh, link will be also in the description of uh of the of what we include so okay. that's out for that guys if you're listening mark what 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 are some of the things you've you've appreciated from this conversation
1: a lot a lot well uh, for, first i i think ho- hospital i would try to sounds like a good c gent
3: episode concur
1: but um i i think a lot of times we often hear about people moving to the States. Usually when we hear about people do, moving to Haiti, usually when we hear about people doing something, it's after the fact, it's after it's already been done. And you're like, mm-hmm. hey, I, you know, this person like Chris Junt, he moved to Haiti. I wonder, you know, what he was like when he was younger. And this is really cool for me because Jess and I know knew each other before the transition. We knew mm-hmm. each other when it was just a dream. <laughs> it, was, it was all a dream, like, mm-hmm. you know, like literally, <laughs> Jess and I, you know, we, we sit down and talk, like, you know, we want to move back to Haiti. And, you know, we have friends in Philly. We talk about moving back to Haiti. And to see, like, both of us are in Haiti. Both of us have made the transition. It's really encouraging to say, yo, it's possible. You know, it can happen. You can do it, and you won't die. You know, because
3: people out there. can move to Haiti. You, <laughs> have,
1: you have my gym. No, you can move that here. You have my gym. <laughs>
0: So, so that's, that's the, the episode. Jessica's been, uh, incredibly, uh, been very gracious in terms of providing her background, her experience. So very happy to have, have, have had her. people, I see the Haitian diaspora, Living in Haiti podcast. Uh, is, is, that's what we like to do here. We like to bring folks in, give their backgrounds, give their perspective each time. It's, 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 it's a completely new universe we enter and and Jessica has been uh, just phenomenal in adding value to to our uh ROI return information so it's been fantastic as always we we have our um, uh we have our episodes coming coming out just about weekly during this era of covid so those of you guys uh, please subscribe uh wherever you may be watching this we're on everything we're on spotify apple Podcasts, google uh those who may be watching wherever you are make sure you subscribe hit that subscribe button. hit that like button hit that five star button yeah. wherever you may be watching this we mm-hmm. really, really appreciate it right and, and listen guys that's a wrap and until so we're back Thank at it you. again <laughs> yeah, huh? Not again, right? again. Thank
2: you, you for having me, and yes, thank yes. you so much. All right,
1: thank you, Jeff.
2: Ciao. All right then.